Tonight we're gathered on this Good Friday to remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross for us. So this is a very personal thing as we're watching all of this unfold before our eyes again. And it's good for us to remember on this Good Friday what God did for us. What I want us to focus on tonight are the people that lifted him up in death. Tonight, that's our theme, lifting him up in death. And we're going to look at the five. I'm just going to pick out five characters throughout this passage. And I want us to see who we identify with. Obviously, I think we want to identify with the Roman soldier who at the very end says, surely this was the Son of God. But let's look and observe as we appear, as these people arise out of this passage. The first person I want to focus on is Pilate the coward. And I'm going to read the verse out of verse 24 and 25 again. It says, So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Now, I believe that Pilate was a coward, and I'll tell you why. Pilate was the sole authority in Jerusalem who was responsible for overseeing the Roman court system. Now, the Roman court, the Romans were known to be brutal, brutal people. But although they were brutal people, they were also known to have a fair and just trial. That's what they prided themselves on, that any death that took place was because it was justified by the law. And so in the case of Jesus versus the religious leaders, the best argument that the religious leaders could come up with was that Jesus was an insurrectionist who was claiming that he was king over Caesar. That was their best claim that they could bring. And if this would have been true, it would have been a punishable by death type of thing by Roman law. So this is why Pilate asked the question of Jesus. He asks him in verse 3, we didn't see that on our screen, but earlier in the passage it says, are you the king of the Jews? He asked that question. And then Jesus' reply is very interesting. He said, you have said so. You have said so. Now in the Greek, it, this, it's clear that this is a bit of a cryptic reply. Literally, he is saying, you say so, meaning the designation is yours to determine. It was a yes answer with a qualifier attached to it. Yes, Jesus was the Messiah, but Jesus' version of a Messiah, which was much different than what Pilate was thinking in terms of a king that wanted to overthrow Caesar. So Pilate knew his answer was no, I am not trying to overthrow Caesar. I'm coming at this at a totally di different dimension. And so this is why Pilate replied in verse 14. He says, After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. So answer this. If Pilate knew that he was not guilty and the Romans were known for a just and fair, tri fair trial, why in the world did he condemn him to death? I think it's because he was a coward. See, if we understand the political situation of that day, there had been a lot of unrest. 
And Pilate was getting pressure from those above him that if he couldn't keep peace in Jerusalem, his job was gone. And he feared that, 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 that he would lose his job and that he needed just to keep peace. Now, in a wimpy kind of way, he tried to, uh, to try to walk the middle of the road, seeing if he could get Jesus released by doing three things. The first thing he did is he tried to pass the buck to Herod, who only sent Jesus back after he made fun of him. The second thing that he did is he tried to do something that was unthinkable of that day, and that was to offer a notorious murderer who actually, uh, the, the Jews were ashamed of this guy, but they tried to release it thinking that would be a backdoor. Of course, they would never accept that, but of course they cried out, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And the final thing he did was he scourged him. Now, scourging is just a simple word, but if we think of what it means, it means that they attached him to a pole and then they took a whip that had shards of glass and nail and bone in it and they would launch it into the side and they would rip it across his back again and again and again 39 times. So they would do this, bringing him to the brink of death. And so Pilate's thought was that if they scourged him, to that point, to the point of being pitiful and being to the point of just being a pathetic mess, then maybe, maybe the people would have mercy on him. But none of these attempts worked. And in the end, he had Jesus crucified. So we had Pilate the coward. The second group of people that I want to pull out of this passage are the indifferent soldiers. The indifferent soldiers... You see, this is what the passage in verse 11 says. Soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Now in John's account, there is a much more descriptive uh, nature of it. So I'm going to read that. John 19 uh, verse 2 and 3 says, The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. See, the second group that lifted him up to death were the soldiers. And they were doing what they did best. They tortured. They murdered. This is what they did day in and day out. So that's why they are the indifferent soldiers. This is just a part of what they did. Another day, another denarii, it was part of their job just to kill people. See, the way that the Romans ruled the land to keep order and to crime down is that they carried out swift execution when somebody broke the law and it was punishable by death. It was known by historians that they would line the streets with crosses with people. And if you're entering into the city and you're seeing dead crucified bodies, you know you are not to cross the line. It was ruling by intimidation. So these soldiers were just doing what they were trained to do. Now you might ask, why in the world, how could they do this day in, day out? The answer is that they were trained this way. My friends, this is the, the horrible side of war. The horrible and ugly side of war is that this is what our military does, even our military In a Discovery Channel article, I read this recently. It says this, First, and this is talking about our military, 
This is the process we take our men and women through. First, the military branches use the process called brutalization to strip away the sense of individuality. Recruits endure tough, regimented training exercises to break down any resistance to authority. The military also uses a condition to train soldiers to react to specific stimuli in a way that is almost automatic. An example is training soldiers to fire at human-shaped targets in a war simulation. See, these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, were just doing what they were trained to do. What we see taking place in this passage is simple. They were trying to spice up their normal routines. The killing became normal for them. And so when they had a person that was saying he was the king of, a, king of the Jews, it was like, okay, let's do something with this. Let's spice up our job a little bit. And so they took this, this old purple military cloak and they adhered it to Jesus' bloody back. Of course, that would adhere to that. The blood would start to dry on the purple cloak. And when they ripped it off eventually, that would create excruciating pain. And then they saw a little bush, a thorn bush, and they took a branch and said, oh, let's make a crown. Let's mock this guy. And they thrusted it upon his head. Now, little did these Roman soldiers know that they were actually doing something, uh, fulfilling something in Scripture. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 18, remember what God said would be the curse of man? That he would have to work the soil, and the soil would be filled with what? thorns. And thorns became known as the, the, the fall of humanity. And so we have the fall of humanity being thrusted upon Jesus' head. Of course, we know that he was dying for the sins of humanity. So this was almost a sense of a prophecy being fulfilled and they didn't know it. And then they did. They, they said, let's, let's do something. This uh, king has to have a scepter. So they gave him a scepter and they kneeled down and they mocked him and said, Hail, king of, the, king of the Jews. And then they took that and they thrust it upon his head and, and pounded in the thorns into his skull. See, what they were doing was they were just doing what they were trained to do. And all along... There were so, these soldiers were carrying this out. There would have been a squadron leader called the centurion. Now keep the centurion in mind because he comes to the end, at the end of our story. And they did all this mocking and then they crucified him. The third person that I want to draw out of the passage is the curious bystander. Now I feel the, I feel the worst for this guy because he was simply in Jerusalem with his family. His name was Simon of Cyrene. This is what our passage says. And they, in verse 26, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry beside Jesus, or behind, carry it behind Jesus. Now here we catch a glimpse of a man from, uh, named Simon, and he's from North Africa, because that's where Cyrene was. Now, the Gospel of Mark indicates he has his two sons there. So what he was there for was for the celebration of the Passover. This was a family event. Can you imagine giving all the children together? Let's go, and we, we're just going to go to a nice thing in Jerusalem. This is an annual pilgrimage. We always do Passover, so he was a devout religious individual. And I, there's a commotion going on. 
And it's very highly unusual that there would be this kind of commotion that's going on during Passover time. And there he sees this man with a cross who's stumbling around the way. And finally he comes up to where he is. And he can't go any further because he's almost to the point of death. And so the soldiers just grab Simon of Cyrene and says, you are going to carry the cross. And so they put the beam on upon his shoulders, and it would have been bloodied beam. And Simon wouldn't have wanted to carry that, but he had no choice in this option, in this situation. Now just imagine for yourself, put yourself in the body of Simon. Look through his eyes what the world looked like as he was climbing the hill of Golgotha with Jesus up in front of him. As he watched as they got to the hill and they took, the Romans took the cross beam off of him and set it upon the, ver the vertical beam. And then they laid Jesus' body upon the cross. And Simon has obviously stepped off to the side, but he's the one that watched up close the nails going into his wrist, into the beam on both sides and then his feet being nailed and then his body being hoisted up and dropped into the ground which would have jolted all of his joints. Simon saw all of this and I could only imagine what he was going through in his thought process. And then he saw the people. He saw the Romans gambling for his clothes. He saw the mockery of hail the king of the Jews, and they saw the sign. He saw the sign that was placed above him. He saw the people waving their fists and, and wagging their heads at Jesus, calling out curses upon him. He saw women that were mourning over what was happening. Simon saw all of this, and I can only imagine in his curiosity that he had to be thinking. All this for a man who claimed to be the king of the Jews? Simon was there, picked to be a part of center stage. He had to be curious. And then we move on to the religious leaders. The religious, of the leader, uh, religious leaders of the day who were the ones in charge of seeing that Jesus was crucified. I call them the self-righteous. This is why. Verse 2 says that they began, in chapter 23, they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Very clearly, the religious crowd had delivered Jesus to Pilate with the hopes that he would crucify him, that he would get rid of him. Now, once he actually was condemned to death and he was upon the cross. We're told in a different gospel, in the gospel of Mark, what these religious leaders said. This is what they said. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saves others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross and may see and believe. Those who were crucified with them also reviled him. See, in the mocking of Jesus, you get the distinct impression that they were so, so very pleased with the events that had taken place. See, for the longest time, they've wanted him dead. In all the Gospels, the earliest account that we have that the religious leaders said that they want him dead was at the beginning of his ministry. They kind of, they noticed who he was and what he was about. And we're told, they said at the beginning of his ministry, how 
they might kill Jesus. They started plotting. The seed was in their heart for three years and it had grown to a place that germinated and it was now in full bloom. It had grown. And they wanted with nothing more in their hearts to see Jesus absolutely devastated, absolutely off the scene because they did not like what he represented. And when they said he saves others, they're referencing the fact that he had healed so many people. He'd come along beside so many people. And now they're mocking him, saying, now you can't even help yourself. See, what these self-righteous leaders could not see in or was that Jesus was doing something that was fulfillment of the suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53, he was wounded. For our transgressions. See, what they could not see is that Jesus was paying the ransom cost on the cross for their very sins, for their very mockery. They were, he was paying the price for them and they could not see it. Jesus would not come down off the cross because it was God's plan of redemption. These leaders wanted proof, but the real proof of God God's love was being displayed before their very own eyes and they could not see it. They couldn't. Ironically, the ones that knew the scripture the best could not see it and the one who had no idea what the scripture said did see it. Because we come to our last person, the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion so, so it says this in verse 7, 47. Now when the centurion saw, this is the centurion who believed, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. In other versions it says, certainly, he said, certainly this man is the son of God. See, the person who had part in lifting Jesus up to death was this Roman centurion, and he had watched the whole event unfold. He was a part of the whole process. He was the supervisor. He was the one to make sure that there was nothing done that violated the law. And so he oversaw everything, and we saw him earlier at the flogging. And now he's here, and he is the one who has witnessed the flogging. He's witnessed the people, the Jews, turning on their own. He saw this one suffering in agony on the cross. He witnessed the sky growing dark in the middle of the day. He felt the earthquake that took place as absolutely abnormal. And he witnessed him take his last breath. And after he saw all of this, his conclusion was to give praise to God and say, certainly there, this man was, no, was, was innocent. Now for a Roman centurion who really is in the indifferent crowd to turn and come to the place and come to the conclusion that this man was the son of God and that he was innocent, this was highly, highly unusual. As an executioner, this man saw people die day in and day out. But there was something different about this. He saw Jesus in a different way. He saw that this man, Jesus, forgave those that had mocked and ridiculed him as he was being crucified. He heard with his own ears Jesus say this was highly unusual. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
This man, Jesus, was selfless. The Roman centurion witnessed how Jesus made sure that his mother was cared for while he was on the cross. He heard him say with his own ears, Dear woman, here is your son, pointing him to John. This man, Jesus, was merciful for the centurion observed how Jesus, how Jesus led the thief to a place called paradise. He heard him say with his own ears, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The only conclusion that this centurion could come to was that this man was the innocent son of God. Innocent son of God. All those people and the most unlikely person to turn to God was probably the thief of the cross and the centurion. So this Good Friday, we have witnessed Pilate, the coward. We've seen the indifferent soldiers. We saw the curious bystander, the self-righteous religious, the centurion who believed. All these peoples had a part of lifting Jesus up to his death, but only one believed in the end. What about you? Who do you identify with? Now, naturally, every one of us want to say, yes, we identify with the last person because he believed. But let's at least evaluate. Are we cowardly like Pilate, who was more interested in the personal advancement than doing what's right? You know, there's plenty of people that their sole aspiration in life they might go to church, they might do religious things, but their sole aspiration in life is just to get ahead. That's what Pilate was doing. Could that be me? How about the second person? Are we indifferent to Jesus as we live a life without reference to Christ? Sure, you come to church once in a while, but are you indifferent to him? Uh, sometimes there's students that simply come to church and you just, you tune Jesus out immediately because you're indifferent to Jesus. Do you understand that this is who you are identifying with when you put your headphones in and you play music while the service is going on? You're indifferent to Jesus. You could pull that off with me. You could pull that off with your parents. But are you indifferent? We can do that in life. We can act one thing at church, but then we're giving God's name in vain throughout the week. And we're saying GD this or GD this or dropping the F-bomb or doing whatever. And we're being indifferent to Jesus because that's not what Jesus is like. Is that possible? Could we be actually indifferent? How about the third person? Are we simply curious, wondering what Jesus is all about? That's not a bad place to be. There are plenty of people that are curious. I would encourage you to investigate. That's a good thing. Or maybe we're like the religious. Are we living a self-righteous religious life where we are more interested in tradition than actually worshiping God? You'll know if you're that person if you're really high in the church but low on morality. Or maybe you're a good moral person, but it's all for the wrong reasons. You're just thinking you can work your way to God. But maybe you're like the last person. Or has Jesus, or has Jesus touched our hearts with deep belief that Jesus 
is the innocent son of God like the Roman centurion. I hope that's all of us. See, if it's the last, then Jesus will forever, forever, he will be glorified in our lives. And we will want that. Do you know when we meet here on Sunday, when we meet here on Friday, and we worship God, it's a part of that inner deep feeling, that inner deep conviction because we believe in Christ and that we want more than anything to ascribe glory to the name of God. That's why what we do on Sunday is paramount to everything else we do. It is paramount because we are to gather. The goal of missions is that we would reach people that would praise Jesus, that would glorify him because it's about worshiping him. And so tonight, as we conclude with the last three songs, let's lift up Jesus and celebrate his death, for we know that his death is our salvation and know that it is forever, forever that we will worship him.